0: Well, hello, welcome to today's webinar titled Striving for Ideal Behaviors, a Lean Management System supported by Kinexis." I'm Mark Graben, VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexis, and I'll be your host. And today I'm very happy to be uh, hosting a good friend and a customer of ours here at KyNexis, Michael Lombard as our primary presenter. Hey, Michael. Hello. So again, our, our guest today, Michael Lombard, uh, he has uh, been a, a good friend of mine. We're actually sitting side-by-side here uh, in the Dallas area. We first met, what, eight years ago yeah, or so? so, eight or nine years ago, just as part of a local lean uh, community here, a lean DFW group. And you know, at the time, Michael was in manufacturing and was really interested uh, about getting into healthcare, and, and he's made that transition. So he, he's thankfully doing some great work today. At Cornerstone Healthcare Group, is their senior director of operational excellence. Uh, he's been a Kinexus customer in two different organizations now, and uh, certainly appreciate you being here with us and sharing your your lessons and reflections. And you know, for the audience, I think you know Michael is really good about encouraging you to think through. I think some of these really important issues about lean management systems. Uh, so with that, uh, Michael, over to you.
1: All right. Thank you, Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And I got to say, um, I am very grateful that Mark has returned to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. For those of you that don't know, Mark is uh, a aficionado of wood-fired pizza ovens, and he's got one in the works here, and I can't wait to uh, partake in that. That's one of the best things about being friends with Mark. Uh, lean pizza. <laughs> well, it's very lean pizza. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yes, it's very good for creativity. So. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm honored to be talking to you today about some of the learning that we have um, generated at Cornerstone Healthcare Group. And just uh, for everybody, um, we're a system of 19 long-term acute care hospitals. We're based out of Dallas, Texas, and we have uh, these small specialty units located in six different states. And we take uh, really sick patients that come out of an ICU and they transfer them to us. and We take care of them for you know 25 to 30 days. And so... Um, it's, it's a uh, organization that has been experimenting with lean management principles for a few years now, but we're very much in the early stages, just kind of scratching the surface. And so what we're going to talk about today is just some of the learning, some of the trial and error, and uh, some of the things that are, are pretty cool, actually. And so with that, we'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, you see on the title slide, uh, I've in red, I've emphasized this word ideal behaviors, because we're going to talk a lot about that today, because... A lot of what we are working on with our management system relates to behaviors. And when you throw out that word behavior, especially if you're accustomed to working with, you know, a lot of tools in the technical side of lean and systems and processes, you start talking about behavioral and psychology and you start, are are we going to talk about phobias and are we going to get into neuroscience and that sort of thing? And it can be a little off-putting. I'll admit it was for me at least. And so I find it helpful if we can, Kind of just give you a practical view of when we talk about behaviors what are we actually talking about in a practical sense and so I'll, I'll share an example um it was a couple weeks ago i was in a hospital of ours in huntington west virginia and i was working with a clinical team and they um were working on their uh their daily uh huddle where they work on coordinating care for our patients and they've got all the different disciplines there, therapy and pharmacy and the nurses and the doctors. And, and, and they do a good job and they assign action items and they say, OK, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to get this patient home and healthy and safe. And um, but they knew that their meetings could be more scientific. And, and by that, I mean, they should actually every time they take a step, they should be learning from that step. And they weren't necessarily doing that. And they were aware of that. And so they weren't able to really uh, advance as fast as they wanted to with their care plans. And so um, we said, this nurse was working on, he started thinking about it and it was a little bit difficult for him to kind of um, figure out how he's going to make his huddles more scientific. And I think it was because in healthcare, which is, you know, a medicine itself is very scientific endeavor, but the actual management of healthcare, the way we do our huddles, the way we do our meetings, the way we do action items, all that stuff—it's really no more scientific than any other industry. Um, so, I mean, I've worked in twenty-plus hospitals. Mark, you've worked in a lot of different organizations. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily way more scientific.
0: I think, I think you know, in healthcare, people have scientific training, but unfortunately, they're they're not often encouraged to practice that in the workplace. Right. You know, as, as sad as it is in any industry, we'll just do what you're told. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, about the environment that they're in. But, you know, I think there's this art of management, there's the science of improvement, there's the art of improvement. Mm-hmm. There's these, the, the yin and the yang. I think in healthcare, you have the clinical technical work, but as this picture shows, you have
1: the caring, mm-hmm. if not loving environment that, that needs to be there. Right, so this nurse leader was like, how do I achieve that loving nursing environment but make it more scientific and how can I make it more uh, achievable by frontline nurses? How can I make it simple? And he said, well, you know, if we could, if we have like, if we can determine what X is and X is like, the therapist is going to go do a particular treatment on a patient. And then we can predict what Y is going to be, you know, the patient's going to walk a certain distance today. So that's the hypothesis and we may get Y, but we may get Z. Z might be a totally different concept. And he he said, you know, as easy as X, Y, Z, He came up with this little drawing. He said, X, I predict that if we do X, then we'll get Y. But if we get Z, we will learn from that. So this little back of the napkin diagram was just a simple way for him to explain a very complex concept, such as scientific thinking, to his people. And the reason why I bring it up right now is because I want to point your attention on the right side, where you see, uh, be rigorous about the X. Be curious, be kind of, Um, objectively curious about the y and to be enthusiastic about the learning that's going to result from the z those are behaviors those are things that we can actually observe when they are assigning action items that's the x i can actually observe whether they're being rigorous about did x get done yes or no very straightforward very cut and dry and so when it's observable it's measurable we can definitely start to improve upon that particular behavior and so you take a concept that's very lofty and hard to apply, such as you know, scientific method or something that might be a little off-putting. And you can turn it into something that's very, very observable, measurable by focusing on the behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so we said at Cornerstone about a year ago, less than a year ago actually, we're still very new at this, but we said, well, what about if we just design our whole, you know, approach to lean or our whole management system around behaviors. What would that look like? And so we said, we, we kind of came up with this little diagram and it flows from left to right. And it says, start with the behaviors. And if you can, if you can promote the ideal behavior, such as the, you know the scientific behaviors that we just talked about in that XYZ example, then you can uphold the business principles that you think will produce the long-term results for your organization, the sustainable results. And your business principles may be the Toyota away 12 principles or, um, or maybe the Shingo model guiding principles. And I put the link to the Jingle Prize website down below. Highly encourage you to check that out. Um, a lot of this stuff is drawn from their teachings. and um, but, but it's basically the idea is that if you start with tools and you always stick with tools, you may get some results, but they may not be sustainable. Ultimately, you have to uphold your principles, your lean guiding principles. And at Cornerstone, our hypothesis was that we can do that if we focus on ideal behaviors mm-hmm. first. And so that's kind of like the background of some of the specifics that we're going to talk about.
0: And I just want to, you know, elaborate, you know, what what happens when an organization or individuals use tools without understanding the underlying principles. So if you think of something really basic uh, from Toyota, the idea of the and on cord, uh, where everyone's empowered uh, and has the obligation to reach up and pull a cord or push a button when they see a problem or even when they've made a mistake, and the the principles and, and the behaviors there 's many of them. one of the behaviors would be that somebody immediately comes to help a team leader and asks basically what 's the problem? What can I do to help? How can we get things back on track, or maybe you know what root cause analysis is done? There are organizations that have copied the mechanics of that system, and when people pull the cord, they get yelled at for stopping the line or they get yelled at for making a mistake and and you know that that doesn't serve um, really any constructive purpose no. to use that tool in the wrong context.
1: That's right. That's right. And we went down that road. We went down the tool based approach, and we had to kind of unwind and go back to focusing on can we can we demonstrate ideal behaviors. Unfortunately, it was it was confusing because there's so many different behaviors and which are the right behaviors and and it was all new to us. We weren't used to focusing on behaviors. It was more we were used to focusing on tools. So fortunately, the Shingo model also provides a way of organizing behaviors. They uh, provide kind of three categories. And I think this is a useful model to think about. There are certain behaviors that help you align, so figuring out what are the right things for us to be working on. There are other behaviors to help you improve, and so that is once we know what the right things are, let's do them right, let's do them better than we're do- than we're doing them today. And then of course, you have to, uh, while you're doing that, enable your people, so use the act of improvement as opportunity to develop your people to bring more people to respect their capabilities and bring everybody into the improvement work and and let them achieve their maximum potential and so we using these three categories at cornerstone we started saying well you know what are some of the behaviors that we want to focus on what are some of the challenges that we have to overcome and uh, we're going to go through each of them now so when it came to aligning it was a big challenge for us we uh we had i don't know at the beginning probably 30 strategic objectives that we were trying to pursue. And it was kind of like this image here, which was provided by the way, by Mike Rother, the author of Toyota Kata and some other very well-known books. Um, And it basically shows that there are a lot of things that you can work on. Like at Cornerstone, we have 30 plus strategic objectives. But what are the things that we have to do? What are the things we have to work on that are going to get us to our target, to get us to our goals? and we you know thought okay well maybe catchball is a good consensus building behavior that would help us determine what the critical few projects were unfortunately we hadn't practiced catchball enough to be good at it and so we weren't able to get our list of projects down to a manageable list so we had to do a kind of a special event where we brought together all of our senior leaders and we collaborated and we did a uh, consensus building session that way to identify. We eventually got it down to a manageable number, maybe six or, or you know or, or so strategic. It's probably still too many, but you know we got it down to a somewhat manageable number. And that was learning for us. We learned that we weren't we hadn't developed the chops yet to do catchball well. We we had to use a special event kind of as a temporary countermeasure. But we knew that catchball and other alignment type of behaviors were going to be very important for us. Then when we went to the improving category and we started assessing what is the challenge for us at Cornerstone, we uh, we immediately realized that we have some reflexes that make uh, doing good scientific improvement very difficult. So if you look at the screen here, and I use this exercise a lot in, a, in my training, and we ask the trainees to read it, and inevitably, what do they say? They say, oh, it's... What does it say, Mark? Jumping to conclusions. Yeah, that's right. I know that with great certainty. That's right. Absolutely. But (laughs) guess what? It's not. That reflex is so common amongst everybody that I've ever worked with, including myself. I'm the world's worst at it. You see the tip of the iceberg and you think you know what the whole thing looks like. Um, There's a reflex, a human reflex deep in our DNA for recognizing patterns when maybe there's not even a pattern there. We have to because there's so much stimulus in the world, and so we have to uh, be able to kind of quickly move on based on limited information, and that's why we have behaviors in the lean world such as go to Gimba so we can get the full picture or um, you know, actually let's, let's track the data for more than just one time period to actually see if there's more going on than what's on the surface, and so there's a lot of good behaviors, but it was very difficult for us at Cornerstone because we had this ingrained reflex to jump to conclusions, and that was hampering our ability to do good methodical improvement work.
0: I think there's also a difference between the mindset that says we know answers versus we will figure out things and test it over time. And you see that whether that's solving a problem around why um, that infusion pump keeps breaking to... Uh, figuring out, you know, a three year or a five year lean transformation plan that people say, well, we're going to work for a long time, months and months and build this three to five year plan that we know is the right plan. I think, well, that that might be a helpful exercise, but maybe as the first step in a larger scale plan, do study adjust cycle? Don't mm-hmm. expect that that plan is going to be just executed Uh, as designed over three to five years so it's it's a tough mindset to change. It's very
1: tough to be able to accept uncertainty Mm -hmm. and take confidence in having a good scientific approach to dealing with the uncertainty and that's what we we started thinking about what behaviors at Cornerstone would help us and we identified something called the improvement kata and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, the specifics of that in a later slide but it's just basically a way to retrain your brain to uh, be very iterative in the way you think, uh, to accept uncertainty, to be more scientific in how you approach improvement, and not jump into conclusions. And so that was that was some of our challenge with improving. And then on the enabling side, you know, the challenge was how do we get all everybody if we truly respect everybody's ability to be problem solvers, to be innovators, to be contributors. Let's, how can we bring them all over onto the the lean management side? How can we all en- enable them all to participate in meaningful improvement work and you know we can try things like experiments i mean uh training and that sort of thing and try to bring a big batch of people across um, through the bottleneck all at once but it's very difficult the limiting factor for us at cornerstone was we just don't have enough coaching bandwidth or or capability and it was a slow that's probably the most difficult most vexing thing that we've dealt with in our time at cornerstone and so we started identifying behaviors such as the coaching kata if we can practice a structured coaching routine over and over again we can get better and then we can start teaching more and more coaches and it could kind of grow exponentially, but we're not there yet, but we know that that's a behavior that we want to focus on. So we started batching, you know, all these behaviors together and typical fashion. We just kind of threw them into a bucket and um, we said, well, what behaviors are actually going to help us most to align improve, and enable. And this is kind of what we came up with is just a big, this is just a partial list, but a big list of, of behaviors. And we started trying to map, which ones are the alignment ones, which ones are the improved ones. And and it became very obvious, very quick that we were not really prepared to uh, make these behaviors become a way of life, make these behaviors become a habit. And it was because we really didn't have the underlying mindset necessary, I think. And we didn't have enough practice at these behaviors to do them properly. So for example, a gimbal walk, that can be, anybody can go do a gimbal walk. We actually have leader standard work that says, CEO of the hospital will go do a gimbal walk once a week, but it can just be a thing where they're just crossing the T and dotting the I. They're maybe doing some walking around saying hi, and that's great. However, man, what about that gimbal walk was treated as an experiment? If the hypothesis was that we are performing the work according to the standard work, and we want to go observe and test that, and then we'd be excited about it if we find a deviation, because that might be an innovation. It might be an opportunity to do some coaching. And But we weren't seeing that. And so we knew that we were kind of, It was almost like we were building on quicksand and we realized very quickly that none of these behaviors were really going to become habits, become a way of thinking until we provided a solid platform, a solid foundation for improvement, a way to practice these behaviors and get repetition over and over and over again. And so that's when we realized that cornerstone that we needed a system of ideal behaviors, a system of practice of these different ways of thinking in order for us to be on solid ground. And so going back to that model that you saw before, we just kind of layered this, uh, we we added this this block at the bottom that we call our True North Management System. And at first glance, you might say, well, wow, that's kind of, (laughs) that's rather ill-defined. There's really not much detail there. And actually that's by design. And it's because, two things, two reasons really. First of all, we're less than a year in, okay? We haven't figured it all out, we don't know what are all the inputs, processes, and outputs of our management system? Yet, we have, however, identified some tools um, that we see as useful in uh, promoting some of these behaviors. But we, we haven't—we haven't got there yet. We're still early on. The the second reason that we kind of leave it very nebulous like this is because it's constantly changing. We're constantly experimenting and testing new tools new inputs, new processes and seeing what the outputs are. And so really there's no point in time where we can ever lock it down and say, this is what our management system looks like. We rather instead, we focus people's attention on the top part of the diagram, the ideal behaviors that drive the business principles, that drive long-term results, and just accept the uncertainty that the management system's going to constantly evolve. Now, that being said, there is a tool called Kinexis, which you're probably familiar with, but, If you're not, um, you you can definitely go check out their website. Uh, I assume you are if you're on this webinar, you're familiar with it, but a cloud-based solution that, um, and what what we view it at Cornerstone is that it gives us a platform of tools. Uh, It's robust enough to uh, offer, you know, lots of different tools. We don't have to use them all. We only use the ones that can, you know, be verified to actually support the behaviors that help us align, improve, and enable. And some of them appear, at least in this early stage, to be very useful in supporting some of these behaviors. And so we're going to share some specific examples with some screenshots here. So we'll start with aligning. Um, one aspect of Kinexus that has helped us align, and is not really intuitive on the surface, but is what they call attributes. And so when you um, go to deploy Kinexus in your location, you will identify what attributes do you want Uh, people to be able to tag their projects to whenever they enter a project. um, Do you want them to be able to tag it to a certain priority level, to a certain challenge, to a certain true North metric? And um, it actually kind of forced us to clarify what this was for Cornerstone. We had, like I mentioned, like 30 challenges. We had to distill that down to a half dozen or so just to be able to fit it into the list, the drop down menu in Kinexus. So it's like the the tool is actually almost mistake proofing your, your, (laughs) your strategic planning
0: Th- thanks for viewing that as a feature, not a limitation <laughs>
1: that's right that's right and so um and then same thing with our true north we identified uh, a set of eight metrics that we felt would be our balanced scorecard that we wanted to focus on not the fifty metrics that we were doing before and on the next slide, you actually see um what that drop down menu looks like in some of our true north metrics and um what's great about it is that this is actually uh very you know you can manage this yourself you can change the metrics you can reorder them and that sort of thing but we don't anticipate doing that on a frequent basis because these are more enduring measures but um, just the act of having these gives everybody that ever submits a project at Cornerstone the opportunity to enroll what they're doing in with a true north endeavor with a challenge that we're pursuing one of those half-dozen strategic imperatives they can enroll themselves. they can say hey look at me, I'm working on this project and it relates to this true north metric. And that just from a, I don't know, like a psychological perspective, I think creates a lot of self-alignment. But then flip the coin from the organizational perspective, we're kind of subconsciously nudging folks toward improvement work that happens to align with our challenges and our true north. There's no business rule that says you can only do Kaizen if it relates to uh, one of these priorities. That would be totally counter to the spirit of Kaizen. But if we can nudge them a little bit and say, "Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if what you're working on would actually directly support one of these priorities?" and that's not a bad thing at all. And so, well, I was going to ask
0: a, a question. I mean, what, what what percentage, roughly, of these ideas do you find are aligned to true north versus being something that people just identify and want to fix, so the 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 can fix versus must-fix, I guess, comes into the discussion. Because you're right. You know, I think you know, I, classic Kaizen approaches and, and what I've seen practically speaking is you've got to let people work on things that bug them. Mm-hmm. And if you get participation, then you can, like you're saying, steer them toward alignment. Mm-hmm. Some people try to overdo it on the alignment and they don't get any participation. That's right. So anyway, back to the question, you know, what, what percentage would, would you say are in
1: good alignment? Right. Well, you notice you know, we've left these fields as optional. And we want it to be very much a voluntary kind of thing. And so, you know, but even with that, I would say because of the way that we've deployed it with this kind of built in, you know, the act of deploying Kinex has actually helped us clarify what our strategic priorities were and communicate that. Um, I would say, you know, probably 75% of the projects that are currently being worked have some sort of alignment with one of these priorities. Now, that's not to say that within those projects, there may be dozens of tiny little PDCA cycles that are going on, that um, they may go off in all kinds of different directions, but they're learning every time they do one of these. But when it comes to like the the major projects that we're working, the the majority of them.
0: Okay, and there's a question that came in from George, let's go ahead and address this. Um, What does create kata mean? I think you're you're gonna kind of, I think in your next slides, kind of talk through an example, Mm -hmm. because what what you're showing here is you've kind of scrolled down after you've entered the basics of an improvement or of a kata cycle. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to a slide that kind of goes through what the improvement kata project template looks like. We'll get to that momentarily. Okay, okay so another tool that helps us align is huddle boards. And so you know, Conexus has pretty easy to create uh, huddle board functionality where you can drag and drop tiles. And what you're looking at here is a lane that consists of three tiles. And we've created standard work at Cornerstone that says here's how we want our huddle boards to be structured. You know, typically each huddle board has four lanes. And each lane has these three tiles and you see that there's two run charts and one project list that make up a lane. And so we created leader standard work that says first start with the left tile. And we would like to see if you're going to focus on a metric that ties in with our true north, one of our true north metrics. And from there, move on to the second tile and see if you can, through the catchball process, identify a, uh, a driver metric something like cost per patient day that can drive profitability so the second metric actually drives the first and, and so what we found was if we just create a lane and we leave the run charge blank that actually creates kind of a visual pull it's like a, a space that begs to be filled and what we saw was a huge increase in the behavior of catchball, the back and forth iterative consensus building behavior and, and eventually, through a few cycles, they would arrive at what their first metric is going to be. And then they do a few more cycles and figure out what their second metric was going to be. And then they do a few more and determine what projects that they could work to actually move the needle on those metrics. So just the act of creating their huddle board and starting with a blank actually promoted the behavior.
0: And, and this is a, a digital or a software based or a virtual version of what a lot of organizations have hanging on physical bulletin boards, mm-hmm. paper charts that are printed out. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, your, your thoughts around um, doing this electronically versus the simplicity of, of a board, how this fits your organization. Muskogee? that's like Oki from Muskogee. Yep. The old song, that's Oklahoma. Right. That's right. Right. So we're in Dallas. You know, anyway,
1: we're yeah. In a, in an organization that's geographically challenged. We have hospitals in West Virginia and Tucson and everywhere in between. So having the ability for people to kind of huddle up around a virtual huddle board has been a a game changer for us. It brings our corporate leaders, when they can't be in the field, it keeps them somewhat connected and tethered to what's going on on the front lines, at least more than we would without this tool. Um, So moving on to the improvement category, what what are some tools that help with those behaviors? Uh, This is where we talked about the kata template. So there's this thing called the improvement kata, and it consists of these routines, these behaviors that help us um, execute improvement work in a very scientific manner. And the first routine is to understand the direction or challenge. So we've got a space for the challenge statement and the template. And then the second routine is to understand the current state. And so we've got a place for the current condition of how the process works today, a place for the current performance of that process. And then the third routine of the improvement kata is understand uh, what your target condition is, your, your short-term bite out of the apples towards that challenge. And so we have a space for that. And so the template actually just kind of, again, it's not um, that we're going to get a perfect demonstration of Kata for people that are new at it, but it's at least starting to hardwire in their brains. They're starting to see the Kata flow by the way the the template is structured. So that's been very helpful. And that's the same thing you see with like a threes that have a, a standard structure to them we've just incorporated that into this digital version basically yeah
0: and just to clarify um you know this is a screenshot from the software where these would be fields if somebody was uh, creating a, a new kata uh, entering that challenge statement entering the current condition they're, they're typing this into the system they're hitting submit michael you as a coach you get notified about
1: these right that's right that's right. And so you can you can practice the behavior of coaching while what we call the learner practices, the behavior of the improvement Kata. And we can kind of assess and I'll show you an example on the next slide. Um, here's the details of one of our Kata projects. So when we say create Kata, we're creating a project using the improvement Kata pattern. That's what was meant by that uh, previous slide where you saw the where it said create Kata. And so, you know, right off the bat. OK, that challenge statement, that's not the best challenge statement in the world. Where's the measurable piece of it? You know, where's the time-based piece? So what's great is as people are doing their best to do improvement kata, um, the coach can, and even secondary coaches, people that are kind of overseeing the coach's work, they can kind of have transparency and see where we have gaps. Okay, we're really good at challenge statements, but we're not so good at mm-hmm. analyzing current condition. And so it's just shining a light and surfacing issues through the use, making making the work visual.
0: Well, so in, in your coaching of somebody, Michael, if you're looking at this, would it be better to be more specific about what's meant by quickest or most accurate? Is yes. that what, you're, what yeah. you're saying?
1: Yeah, they may start off with even a challenge statement that's not as good as the one you see here. It may just be, we want to be better at, you know, uh, site neutral patients. And then you may have to coach out of them. The next time you go to coach them, they may get a little bit better at crafting a challenge statement. But over time, through the coaching kata improvement kata pattern, they start arriving at much more specific, measurable, time-bound challenge statements. So that's just one example. Uh, But again, it's not about the tool. It's not about the template per se. It's about, does it help with the behavior? And we're still experimenting with what our template should be. Maybe it's too complicated. Maybe it's it's missing something. We're still tweaking it and kind of like experimenting with how to drive that improvement kata behavior. And uh, another tool that helps us improve and be more scientific about the way we improve is the use of the run charts. And um, we traditionally at Cornerstone would use, um, you know, balance scorecards that just show the number, it's not visual, it shows red or green, and sometimes you can get fooled, you can see several months in a row that are in the green, you think everything is good, but the trend is actually headed in the wrong direction. Whereas if you saw this run chart, if you saw this just in a table, the black line represents the actual results, you might think, man, this this is a bad process, they're struggling uh, because they're always below the goal, the green budget line. But if you saw this visually, of course, you're thinking, "Well, that's a positive trend in the right direction." So the tool helps us uh, not have that knee-jerk reaction to just overreact whenever a month or two is behind budget, but rather start to look at trends.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll speak as the uh, the SPC nerd and say, "I don't know if that's a trend or just variation around." It. Yeah, it mean. could be. It could right.
1: be. But at least we're having the conversation. Yeah. And we're starting to ask, "Is are we picking up on a trend?" Are we actually uh, seeing any? What, what kind of variation are we seeing? And then the other behavior that we think is, is very useful is uh, the use of that red line, which represents our target line. So if somebody is way behind budget, it seems it can be daunting and uh, it can be very difficult to ever see the light at the end of the tunnel. So the use of uh, like an intermediate, like a stepping stone, which is in the case here is this red line promotes the behavior of take the big challenge and break it down into a bite-sized manageable, something that you can achieve over the next couple of weeks or a month. That gives people, I think, a little bit more uh, courage to go out and try things.
0: So was that red line, that, that intermediate target, bumped up because it seemed like there was some progress on the actual?
1: Yeah, they're kind of like experimenting with, you know, we implemented a certain process. We saw an improvement. We didn't quite get to our target, but we're about to execute another change to our process that we think is going to get us another little bump, sort of kind of continuing to step their way up towards the overall goal of, a, of achieving budget. And that's a good behavior that we like to see. And uh, so moving into the enable category, some tools to help us with those behaviors. There is a team function within KaiNexus, and um, we created some standard work around if you're a sponsor, that means that you are officially the coach, you're practicing the coaching kata. If you're a facilitator, you're going to be in the role of learner, you're going to practice the improvement kata. And so uh, just the act of having that formal designation of you are the sponsor, you are the facilitator, has that helped us formally establish these coaching chains. And we mentioned earlier, we think that's one of the key ideal behaviors for us is the coaching. And so we want to see that aligned from top to bottom in the organization. And this helps us manage that aspect. Then also you see in the followers section, that allows interested parties such as maybe a subject matter expert that you know we have a corporate subject matter expert on a particular topic they can see what's going on in all 19 of our facilities and kind of follow the work and then help cross pollinate some of these ideas and that's a way of enabling our people um, to uh, go experiment and see if what's working as a best practice at hospital a might work in hospital B can you go test that That's a kind of helps speed up the experimentation process and then also second coaches they can follow and see how well is the information flowing in here uh, how quickly are the uh, PDCA cycles being performed and kind of monitor those types of metrics through being a follower.
0: So the second coach is coaching the coach.
1: That's right. And looking for things like, they're not necessarily looking at each individual experiment and saying, is this the best possible experiment? But they might be looking at one level removed saying, is the time frame between experiments short enough? Are we doing experiments daily or every other day? Or are we pushing them out to every other week? We want rapid improvement. So, kind of focusing on is the coach really setting up uh, the right expectations and the right cadence with the, with the learner.
0: Does the coach of the coach ever get a coach to see how they're coaching the coach?
1: Absolutely. Me- <laughs> it's a chain of coaching. The CEO coaches the VP of ops, who coaches the hospital CEO, who coaches the hospital mm-hmm. director, and so on and so forth. So, uh, with nested projects, which is another thing that Kinexus helps us do, the same project you could be the, both the coach and the learner and a second coach on.
0: And, and and not to get too sidetracked on this, but uh, you, you bring up a really interesting point. This idea of coaching down through the whole organization, maybe also coaching up. But you know, the, the, I think the difference to an organization like Toyota, where everybody generally has come up through the ranks, they've been executives have been in that culture for decades. Um, that gives them a unique ability to coach back down through the organization, people who haven't been there as long, people who are at lower positions. I think one of the, the most interesting challenges in a quote unquote lean transformation is that most organizations don't have anything close to that as a starting point. The executives, if I, you know, I hope, I mean, you know, if this is going well, the executives are struggling with new behaviors themselves. They might not feel the confidence to be able to yet coach the VPs or to be comfortable with the uncertainty around, am I doing this right? Um, Have have you seen issues like that come up? Have you had to coach up to some of your leaders to help them get to the point where they can coach others on this?
1: This is the number one most difficult challenge that we're facing at Cornerstone right now. Mm. And it's not for lack of buy-in. We got buy-in from all of our senior leaders. It's amazing. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard. It's about practice. It's about, can you get enough repetitions of these structured practice routines that we call kata you know, coaching kata. Can we get enough practice to start to feel comfortable? And can we create an environment that is safe for trial and error when it comes to your coaching technique? And, um, and, you I think Kinexis helps us a little bit with that because uh, we're able to actually track the number of coaching cycles that we do as a team at the senior level. Uh, we track that. That's actually one of my run charts that I focus mm-hmm. on. And, uh, and so again, when you start to focus on behaviors such as coaching, then something, when you distill it down to something very simple, you can start to observe it. Mm-hmm. You can start to measure it. You can start to really work on it, and um, and but it's still incredibly difficult. It takes a lot of practice. Another way that Kinexus helps us enable our people, well, we always heard that I love this lean stuff. I love doing improvement work. I just don't have time to do it. Well, we found we did a time study of all of our leaders across the company and found that they were spending an inordinate amount of time, working on reports and attending meetings to review those reports, phone calls, conference calls, et cetera. With Kinexus, we're actually able to, through the list function, um, which right here you see a list that's in what we call tree view. So you can see how the true north breaks down into a project called site neutral strategy and that breaks down into a north region version and so on and so forth. So we kind of cascade the project toward the front line. By having this information, knowing the status, knowing the start date, knowing the end date, now you have just-in-time reporting and at the click of a button basically. And that actually makes it unnecessary for the folks in the field to do all these manual reports and to do duplicate reports and to do meetings to review those and clarify those reports. So if they're diligent about entering good information on the front and we're kind of building quality in at the source as opposed to trying to report it in on the back end. And so uh, that has actually been able to, we've been able to free up some people's time so that they can focus on practicing their coaching technique and enabling more people in the organization to get involved. So we've gone over a bunch of these tools, but it's not about the tools, it's about the behaviors. And if we go back to this list of behaviors, which again is just a partial list, I've just kind of hand selected a few, you've seen some check marks. You know, we've made some progress. We've started to see our catch ball become more effective as people get coached and they start getting better at running experiments. They start to treat catchball as an experiment. I've, here's my hypothesis about what we need to be focused on. What do you think? That's starting to get better. Our huddling is starting to get better with the use of these virtual boards where more people can participate in the right people. But you see some items we haven't even started to check off yet. We are um, still experimenting. We're still learning. We, we don't know how our management systems going to help us uh, do more and better gimbal walks, or more better root cause analysis, or Andon. And okay, there, there's tool Kynexis may be able to help us with some of that. You know, new charts for Pareto charts for root cause analysis, or or you know the mobile iPhone app or whatever for gimbal walks, capturing improvements right there on the spot. That's that's great, and that's all happening with Kynexis, But ultimately, we have to experiment. We have to test uh, various tools to see which ones will actually support these behaviors. The tool doesn't support it, then the tool's not going to be used, basically. And so,
0: let me ask right. just one question. Of this or observation. I think it's really interesting that your your title is Cornerstone continues to learn. A lot of organizations uh, they're presenting about here's what we've done with daily lean management. It's more the tone of here's here's what we know or we've figured it out. And I, I think it's it's I, I admire that you're framing it as here's what we've learned so far.
1: Yep. Yeah, we're so early that we really haven't figured it all out or even, we're, I would say we're scraping the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have figured out that we should start with behaviors and the, specifically the ones that up, uphold our lean principles. And um, and we should simplify those behaviors down to something we can observe and, and measure, and we should have a system that helps with that. And if you want to distill it down even further, because let's face it, this is a big challenge to like, Try to for Cornerstone to try to design a system around behaviors. We've never done that at Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. So it's a big challenge for us.
0: And so one other comment here, I think it's interesting also, you describe these as behaviors, these nine boxes. You know, Some organizations might say, well, th- these are tools – Maybe coaching's not a tool, but you look at it, you know, a gimbal is a tool, huddling is a tool, PDCA sometimes gets misapplied as a tool. Yeah, we've got this form, but it's all jumping in the conclusions. You know, yeah. The plan step says, we plan to go implement this solution. Now right. we're going to go do that solution. Um, and-ons, I mentioned earlier how that could be yeah. just a tool. Yeah. Um, it, would you agree in some ways it's a tool and a behavior or... uh, there's principles built into it. I guess that was your point from earlier. Tools, behaviors, principles.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, let's take, for example, um, you know, something like uh, PDCA. You could say there's a principle there, you know, embrace scientific thinking. And you could say that there's a behavior that supports that, which is to uh, run experiments. Okay, running of the experiments, actually doing PDCA. And then you say there's a tool there. There's a, a PDCA template or a training um, or standard work that explains how to do PDCA. And so they all work together. It's just you got to kind of be ruthless with the tool. The tool should have to prove itself over and over again. The behavior should be um, reinforced by the tool so that it becomes a habit. And through the behavior, that's how you start to embrace those principles. And so mm-hmm. it can be very confusing. Um, but with practice, I think you get a little bit better. But if, if this kind of stuff kind of – you know, confuses you a little bit and it seems like a daunting task to, to move towards a behavioral based management system. I've been there. I have I know you're paying. like it's it was really difficult and we're only just scraping the surface. But one thing that has kind of buoyed our efforts is this kind of X, Y, Z thinking concept. Uh, I'll go back to it again. This 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 reflex to say we're going to do X. We think we'll get Y, but we're going to be excited if we get something else with Z. That's kind of become like a cornerstone, a core out of all those behaviors that were listed this upholding principles this has kind of become like a core behavior that we started with we said if we can just develop a reflex for scientific thinking then we can figure out how to do better catchball, how to do better gimbal walks how to do better pdca etc and so um i'll just talk about this concept of scientific thinking being a keystone behavior um if you can kind of get this down pat and just start running some experiments just start doing some coaching Of those experiments you you may want to do the improvement kata coaching kata model but that's not the only approach as long as you have a structured practice routine that is geared towards uh running experiments and you have a structured practice routine that's geared towards coaching people through experiments and you can uh, put in place a system that at the very least if your management system at least allows creates an environment where those two practice routines can be performed over and over again then you're well on your way to figuring out what type of lean management system would be uh, best for your organization. And so uh, just encourage everybody um, to, you know, start small, you know, start just start practicing your version of Akata in your coaching and, and start to learn from that, start to accumulate the knowledge. And just probably the last thing, you know, the, the most important thing I'll leave you with is the last thing is that practice does not make perfect Contrary to you know popular opinion, um, I've done probably a thousand coaching cycles now over the last three years. Very structured, you know, and we've gotten some great results. But out of those thousand coaching cycles, probably 900 of them have been like, you know, where I made mistakes in my technique, or probably 999 of the thousand. Every time I do another repetition, I find something I could have done better as a coach, as an OPEX practitioner, as a lean practitioner. And so I wouldn't focus on the perfect part. I would definitely keep the emphasis on the permanent part. How can we build the habit of uh, focusing on behaviors? And, and I think that'll probably allow you to stay positive a little bit longer. And so uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. It's been an honor to share with you some of our early lessons learned from this behavioral approach to uh, lean management.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Michael. And uh, boy, he's a pro. He's ending with 30 seconds left on the uh, the countdown <laughs> clock. Um, before uh, we 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 jump into to Q and A, um, we would invite you to go ahead and uh, submit more questions. Um, I want to invite you first to uh, visit our uh, new kinexus.com uh, website. Our uh, director of marketing, Maggie Millard, has spearheaded this effort to really. Uh, revamp um, not just the look of the website, which I, I think looks amazing, but to really structure the website to be most helpful to people who are trying to learn uh, about Nexus and to learn about creating a culture of improvement. So if you go there under the learn tab, you can find all sorts of resources that are, I think are just good uh, information. One of those features has um, is the webinars on demand features. So we've been doing webinars for a couple of years. Michael uh, previously did a webinar on the uh, the Kata and, and Kaizen uh, Nexus, I think mm-hmm. is what we called that. So if, we, if you scroll down on that page and if you want to learn more about Toyota Kata, the coaching Kata and improvement Kata cycles, um, go check out that old webinar and everything else that's in there. Uh, and we also want to make sure you know about our next webinar on May 10th. Uh, For the first time, we have uh, two attorneys uh, presenting, uh, some friends of mine uh, from Montreal, Karen and David, they have been, uh, they're both attorneys, they have been both uh, involved in continuous improvement and process improvement under the Lean Six Sigma approach. And so they are uh, doing this webinar, uh, creating a Lean Foundation for Innovation in Professional Service Firms, not just about law firms, but we have Kinex's customers in architecture firms and other types of professional service settings. And and I bet a lot of their lessons that even apply to healthcare professions, physicians, uh, to to engineers and and manufacturing companies. So I would invite uh, people uh, to tune in, not just if you're a lawyer.
1: And I would just like to say, I cannot wait for this webinar. I've, done some research recently into some of the systemic issues in the, the, the criminal justice system. And they're just as problematic as the ones we have in healthcare and just as impactful in a negative way on people's life. And so I really hope to see some progress being made in spreading lean thinking to that, that field.
0: Yeah, there's, a, as in anything, a lot of waste, a lot of delays, a lot of rework, Um, the idea that we're going to just pass our costs along to the customers. Um, Karen and David and and a number of attorneys, whether it's under the banner of Lean or not, are trying to do basically what healthcare would call value-based purchasing. Instead of just billing by the hour, somebody wants to come to them and say, well, what is it going to cost you, you know, kind of do a bid for this legal job? And so I think that's one illustration of customer value or trying to make sure you're delivering value and not just charging for what you do, which is also a long habit in healthcare. So, uh, David and Karen are great. I did a podcast with them through my lean blog podcast series a few years ago. Um, if you want kind of a preview, if you want to hear from them, go to lean blog, uh, go to actually leanpodcast.org and look for that episode with them. And, um, so with that, uh, I want to make sure we, we go through uh, our questions. So uh, George asked uh, another question. Thank you for that, George. Uh, to Michael, do you agree that before a leadership team can roll out the Kata process, that they have to become adept at it themselves through planned practice routines where members of the leadership team serve as mentors and mentees with each other, focusing on their specific work processes?
1: Yeah, I've experimented with, with multiple ways of doing that. Um, you know, sometimes it's best to do you know, uh, have have a senior leader both be the learner and be practicing themselves, getting their hands dirty and starting to coach others and trying to spread it at the same time Um, for certain situations that can be effective. Other times I've done it to where we just put together an advanced team, a select group, some senior leaders, some mid-level leaders, some frontline leaders. And we we chose a project that crossed a value stream project that crossed over the various departments. And We had a very specific time frame, like a six month period where we just confined our kata practice to that group. And to be honest, there's like pros and cons to both ways. Mm. I think probably the best approach is just to, um, you know, create a a challenge that you want to have a certain level of kata practice for your leadership team by a certain date and don't focus on how good they are at it, but just the number of repetitions that they can get and in the course of a week or whatever, create that challenge. And then start uh, running experiments to see what combination of kata practice configurations would actually uh, see your, your number of coaching cycles in a week go up. It may be round-robin style where they coach each other. It may be what I mentioned earlier with the advanced team. I've done it in probably a dozen different ways, and they've all had their pros and cons, but you've got to find the right mix for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I want to delve a little bit into the idea of principles or the process you went through at Cornerstone and defining the principles. How many of those principles were already sort of held and practiced by Cornerstone versus somebody asking well what what are the lean principles that we need to sort of bring into the organization or strengthen?
1: Yeah, I think um, we didn 't really have much of a focus on principles we we had a lot of lean competency in terms of we know like doing A3 problem solving is a great you know thing to do, or you know doing team huddles is a great thing to do. Um, but we had not really connected it back to a set of principles that we could say these are the ones that produce sustainable long-term results. We were a little bit more tools focused and uh, and results focused, but you know you can be results focused through principles. And, and what, the, you know, we learned that through uh, the Shingo Institute. We, we went in a class by Jake Raymer, if anybody ever gets a chance to go to him. You know, he's phenomenal at explaining this concept. It's very difficult. It was eye-opener for me. I thought I knew something. And it turns out I was really at the beginning. And he helped me see that. And so we've, you know, we've started to embrace the uh, Shingo model guiding principles.
0: Yeah, and I, I was thinking about that. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the Shingo model. Again, the link was there in the website or... Uh, in, in the slides, or you can find the website by searching for um, the Shingo Institute or the Shingo model. Um, related to that, uh, a meet uh, so for one, you said, "Great presentation." He you asked me, you know, "Have you explored how to define what is a behavior versus a principle versus a tool?" I think the, you know, the Shingo model yeah. provides some guidance around that. I'm curious if you can elaborate on that a little
1: bit. Yeah, um, I will state up front: I'm not the expert like a, like a Jake Raymer is or somebody from Shingo, but Um, My interpretation is that principles are universal. They are things that have been proven to be effective in a wide range of business settings and such things such as embracing the scientific method. Um, From the the scientific revolution on, we've seen that method applied to multiple cultures, multiple industries, multiple endeavors. And that iterative approach to learning is effective. We've seen that. We believe that. But it's, it's lofty. It's not something that I can go do right now. Behavior is something I can go do right now. I can observe it. I can measure it. It's, it's more tangible. Whereas a tool is uh, something, you know, it could be a virtual tool or a physical tool. It's just something that makes the, the job easier. And so I could apply this to, you know, I used to work in the construction business and, you know, we had principles such as, um, you know, build quality and at the source, you know, Um, the behavior would be, you know, measure twice, cut once. We can observe that. Did the carpenter measure twice before he Mm -hmm. cut? We can can observe that. We can measure that. And then the tool would be the, you know, the uh, the tape measure.
0: I think that's a great example. And, you know, you, you talk about observing the behavior. It's possible sometimes to observe a behavior that's not taking the underlying principle into account. Okay, you observe someone measuring twice and cutting once. Why do you do that? Uh, because I was told to and because I get in trouble if I don't. You know, it kind of makes me think about uh, hand hygiene compliance in a hospital. Generally, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an education problem. People know what they need to do. But, you know, the Wall Street Journal had an article this morning about which is most effective, the three-step method for hand washing taught by um, uh, the CDC versus a, six, a five- or a six-step method taught by the World Health Organization. And they so, well, the, the, the WHO method is more effective, but it's also actually harder for people to actually do. And, you know, talking about, well, you could observe hand washing as a behavior. The principles, I think, would include, hopefully, patient safety truly is a top priority. We do everything we can to protect patients from infection But then there was a comment, uh, you know, where where some doctor said, well, you know, the problem is people will only do these things because they're being observed and, you know, because there's reward or punishment. That made me quite literally sad uh, to read that. I'm like, well, come on. I think people in healthcare especially can buy into these underlying principles and uh, it's sort of a dark view to say, well, people are only going to do the behaviors because we're observing. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah, but... I, I, have, you, have you found situations you know, uh, where, where you see a kind of a conflict of, yeah, we're practicing the ba- long-winded question, sorry. Uh, we're practicing the behavior without understanding the underlying
1: principles Absolutely. That's, that's what we saw almost every time when we tried to roll out our management system before we figured out that we we really don't know what the behaviors are yet. We uh, we just packed them together and said, you're going to do these nine behaviors, gimbal walks, PDCA coaching, and we're going to roll it out and we're going to create a model lean cell and you're going to do all these behaviors. And we had not, we were building on quicksand. We didn't have the underlying, mm. what I what I refer to as like a, a keystone uh, habit, which is the scientific way of thinking. So if you do acquire that scientific way of thinking, you start to challenge the behaviors and you say, is the behavior of doing this gimbal walk, if we're actually doing it correctly, then it should show up in the results. We should start to see the fruits of that effort. If we're doing it just as across the T dot the I type of thing, probably not going to extract the full benefit out of that behavior and it's not going to show up in the results Mm -hmm. and so if you can and that's probably the thing that I've most recently started to experiment with with my coaching technique is actually um, so I've moved from talking about tools to talking about behaviors but can I actually tie it back through the principles to results Mm -hmm. and actually speak in the language that senior business leader would understand by helping them see the, whether the behavior is actually producing the result, and that being kind of a, an indicator of whether we have the underlying principles or not.
0: Yeah, and, and Dave asked a couple of questions about you know, the, the need to observe the results of a tool. Um, you know, if you're following uh, the process or the behavior of measuring twice and cutting once, but um, you, know, you, you want to be careful, you, you still don't get the wrong result don't you need to do both? I, I assume that means, or maybe Dave, you can type and clarify, don't you need to focus on both tools and results? I, I think there's a similar lean idea around, yeah, we're process-focused, but of course results matter. But mm-hmm. the idea is the right process brings the right results. We're not saying, oh, well, just focus on process. We're never going to measure because I bet it works out. Well, no, you, know, you, you need to do both. But you're also not just hammering people to get the result
1: no matter what. That's right. Yeah, with the, with the Shingo model, that's where you start with as results and you say what principles and behaviors will produce those results and then what systems and tools can help with those behaviors. And, uh, there's an alternative path, which is results at all costs basically. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't go through principles and behaviors and rather you just go results at all costs, you'll probably grasp for some tools that are going to get you some quick wins and that sort of thing. But ultimately it's fool's gold. It, you know, it doesn't provide the sustainability that you want. And so, um, and I think that's probably the area where I have to improve the most as a lean coach, as a practitioner is is understanding and how to how to explain and how to help people see how particular behavior and a particular principle actually does produce sustainable results and being results oriented. That's probably you know, not focusing just on the kind of these lofty notions of what lean is, but rather how does it actually produce long-term results for us, and getting and, and imparting that through experimentation to senior leaders?
0: Well, and I think that's the key. What you said is long-term results, not results this month, this quarter, this year. You know, for people who know the book "The Toyota Way" by Jeffrey Liker, fourteen principles that describe the Toyota management philosophy. Point number one says. <laughs> Make decisions based on the long term perspective, even at the expense of the short term. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, for everyone who wants to copy lean tools, I, I nobody ever really emails and says, well, hey, we're, we're really trying to get more long term focused. How do we go about doing that? <laughs> and that's principle number one. Right. I mean, I think that's an underlying principle. That drives certain behaviors. Mm. Are we going to save money this afternoon by sending some nurses home early, mm-hmm. or are we going to take this is my soapbox issue, sorry, or are we going to uh, invest in them, let them practice kata, do kaizen, and continuous improvement? Right. Um, you know that that's I think the other great struggle in lean.
1: Well, yeah, and so you know when I work with our executive team, you know it's very easy for them to say. Well, if we had this policy of flexing staff up and down, you know, we could save this much money per year. It's very straightforward how those short-term, you know, measures could get you uh, short-term results. My job as a lean coach is to, I got to experiment with my, the way I coach to figure out how to be able to have that same straightforward uh, connect the dots between go with, instead of doing that short-term decision, go with this longer term decision, and here's how that's gonna play out in terms of your results. You're gonna see you know, a little more labor on, on today, but tomorrow you're gonna get more ideas submitted by your staff or you're gonna get more um, quality improvement work being done on the unit. So being able to translate that into the language of business is something that um, I'm experimenting with.
0: Well, lots of learning, lots of experiments, and it's good to hear those experiments will continue. So I want to thank, uh, again, our guest and presenter, Michael Lombard from Cornerstone Healthcare Group. You can uh, email him. You can find him on Twitter, at Mike Lombard. You can find him on LinkedIn. Any other suggestion? I guess that's the best way for people to connect with you.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll throw this out there. Um, I'll I'll dare any of you to um, contact me with this information. Um, Here's a behavior that I want to become a habit for me personally, and for my organization, it could be doing better gimbal walks, could be doing better PDCA cycles, whatever. And um, email me what it is and what your challenge is. And, uh, and I will be more than glad I'd be honored actually, to trade emails, get on the phone, do coaching cycles, just for fun. Uh, It's a way for me to sharpen my skills. And if it helps any of your organizations, then it's well worth the effort. And so I dare any of you to email me with a behavior that you want to work on becoming a habit. And we'll do some some coaching cycles on that. And we'll both learn.
0: OK, an opportunity more than a threat,
1: an invitation
0: <laughs> or uh, not, not, not uh, you know, a good a good challenge or yeah. not, not a threat, a dare, um, <laughs> uh, an opportunity, not a dare. So thank you for that challenge and invitation, Michael. And uh, thank you again for being uh, our presenter today.
1: My pleasure.